Mario, what's up, man? Hey, brother. So, how are you, man? Man, things are going. Things are great. It's it's been a great day. Um, I, it's it's kind of cheesy to say I love my life, but I, but I but I really do. Like every day is a good thing. I had an old roommate one time. He he said, man, I, uh, he said you remind me of this other guy. And it was kind of funny. And I was like, what do you mean? It, it wasn't like he, that. I reminded him of the other guy because of like aesthetics. It was attitude. And he said that this other guy, and he's a business owner, he's a mentor of mine, he said he's always in a good mood. Yeah. Like, even if the world's on fire, he's in a good mood. And I'm like, well, that's there's you have to be. Like, every day that we're on this planet and we have the availability to do good things, like, and, and I mean, life is good. It is. There, yeah, there's sometimes you got you got some valleys you got to go through, but the valleys make the mountain type that much sweeter. Yeah. So. Well, do you ever think, because I think about this all the time, because I feel like I try to have the same mindset, too, and it just naturally has came now, but you, you, there was times when you didn't feel that way, right? Of course. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go way back to those times, man. Right. <laughs> and I'll I tell you what, it's it's nice it's nice sometimes to go back to those times, because yeah. sometimes you get so far away from the struggle because of success that you, you kind of forget that, and it, it almost, uh, it's good to go back to those times so that you can relate to other people around you that may not be where you're at. Um, so that you can kind of see things from their perspective. It's, yeah. it's, it's good to humble yourself and go back to those times. Yeah. So going back, um, so how did so everything you're doing? You you have a successful business, um, and uh, you also recently ran for mayor uh, here in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Which uh, I'm bummed, and a lot of people are bummed that you didn't get it. But I'm still glad that that we were along for the journey, right? You know, because it's it's been interesting to watch all that transpire, man. But um. <clears throat> So how did you get into what you're doing as a business? Like, how did that happen? What was the you know, journey it's, it, there, it's, man? It's, it's so interesting when I look back at my life. God has literally directed my path the entire time. And there was many times where I didn't know that that was what was going on. Um, I was just trying to find the next step. But it was interesting because when I look back, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. It was literally him at every stage of my life pushing me to this different direction. When I when I first started, and, and I had a rocky childhood, um, which it makes it easier for me to relate to young kids. Uh, I mentor a lot of young men. Um, I do a lot of work with the Youth Challenge Program, and I, I love that program. It's for high school dropouts um, that don't yet have a felony, uh, or maybe they went down the wrong path, and yeah. the judge usually puts them in that program so they can get a structured five-month education. It's a military-style boot camp, puts them in uniform, puts them with people that maybe they never had a background with, yeah. uh, different parts of Louisiana. We've done that uh, Camp Minden. Has yes, that. sir. Yeah, yeah yes, I've sir. done some stuff over there. Yeah, it, it's it's Great an guys, amazing yeah. program. Yeah. Um, well, I went through that program because I found myself when I was 17 in a little bit of trouble. I uh, found the wrong guys. Okay. Um, I moved here from Los Angeles, California, and when I moved here, I always wanted to be like the best or the biggest at what I was doing. Well, unfortunately, when you hang out with a bunch of kids that are – committing uh, mischief and, and you're trying to be the best you're going to do the most mischief out of all of them yeah. um so i found myself uh, still in cars and, and hanging out with the wrong crowd and uh drinking doing drugs just doing all the stuff i should have been doing so uh naturally school was was not what i was focused on and um i ended up having a uh, a son as a teenager and i had to drop out of high school because i had to go to work when i was still hanging out with them friends so i ended up finding myself at that youth challenge program and um, it was interesting because um, right before I went into there, I uh, spent some time, I call it the Triple C Resort, which we know it here as CCC, yep. uh, Caddo Correctional Center. And, uh, and it, was, it was interesting because that was the, the time of my life where that was the lowest. And often I find when I'm trying to mentor other people, everybody's rock bottom is a little bit different. Some is a lot lower than you, I may think, because sometimes we see some of our own friends' life and you think, man, they hit rock bottom. Maybe it's time for them to turn around. And no, they, they still find some more bottom to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was where I found myself at my rock bottom. Uh, and when I was there, that's when I was able to realize that I, I couldn't do it myself because obviously the way that I was doing things was not working. Uh, and that's actually when um, Baptists call this getting saved. But it's it's really when I started my relationship with Jesus. And, and uh, I just said, I got to do it. I got to do it a different way. I need, I need somebody else to guide me because obviously me guiding myself is not is not working. And um, it was interesting because I was at the Triple C Resort for about two months. And uh, the same day that I said, okay, I, I prayed. And I said, I need to get out of here. I need to do it your way, not my way. Uh, I got out of jail. F- funny, I-, I thought to myself, I said, man, I should have asked. Uh, I should have said this prayer, you know, two months <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting because later on I asked my dad. I said, hey, Dad, why would you get me out of jail that day? Because he had, he had the bond money to get me out. And he said, uh, he said, man, God told me to. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I woke up that day and I heard God. I heard his voice say, go get your son today. 
I was like, wow, that, that's pretty amazing. Well, my dad, I've always looked up to him, a really great father, and um, he's the reason that we're here. We moved from California because he worked for General Motors, and uh, GM transferred him. He was given the option of here, Tennessee, or Canada. He said, I've never been anywhere other than Southern California, so Louisiana's warm. Let's, let's go over there. He didn't know what humidity was or how warm it really was. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, here, here we found ourselves. So when I went to that Youth Challenge program, um, I, I made it a point to where I let my dad down. And um, because I looked up to him, I wanted to make him proud. I said, I, I got to do the best that I can do. Um, and it was, it was interesting. And I had a son that I had just had. So I said, you know, I, I have to be a good role model. And, and obviously I'm being a poor role model. So uh, when I went to the Youth Challenge program, I was a five-month stint. And um, – I, I pushed to be the best person I could be, and it was really cool because it allowed me to, A, the, the cadre that were in there, they let us have a Bible study every night. And you're not allowed to come out of your room, but, but they let me do that. They let me and about 40 other kids go into the hallway and read the Bible at night, which is, which is unheard of, and it was pretty cool. Um, and, and it was God obviously pulling me to say, like, you're, you're going to be a leader. I'm going to make you um, somebody, and it was it was never because of the the accolades or the people see the the thing on the wall, the big old degree, yeah. and that's what they think as, as a leader. And it, it's interesting because over the the course of the last thirty years, uh, what I've realized is all those accolades don't necessarily dictate that you're going to be a leader. You show me a group of fifty people, and they could all be wearing the same clothing, and I can point you who the leader is because it, it naturally just occurs. Yeah. Um, like, I, I mean, I, I've seen you in a room. You can tell people are coming to you to, to ask, like, for direction. They just – they know even if you're in civilian clothes, like, they, they can identify a leader. And it's yeah. super cool. Yeah, it is. That is. I haven't even thought about that recently at all. But, yeah, I mean, you have a good point there. Like, <clears throat> you can always pick that person out of a room. And it and if you're if you're somewhat ev- similar to those people, then you can definitely see it quicker than other people will. You, you know, it's, it's funny. And, and um, we'll go back to the beginning. But um, the, this guy that I was – that has mentored me throughout the years – when he first kind of got a hold of me, it was when I was 22, and um, and he was 32. He was 10 years older than me, and he was very successful. I mean, a millionaire guy. And it was interesting because I never saw what he saw in me. It was never like, why, why is this guy friends with me? Yeah. You know, and it's it's interesting because now that I'm older, and I'm 42 now, and, and, and I, I find myself doing this too, it's our job to invest in the younger generation. And when you see something, when, when you can see – what you can help cultivate and water, you, you see that seed that is going to be successful, but it just needs some watering, then it's our job because somebody did that for us. Yeah. So it was kind of cool because I, I, I know you operate in the same manner. But um, going back to the Youth Challenge Program, I ended up graduating that uh, as the number one cadet of the cycle, which was super cool. Um, out of the 300 kids, they picked me. Um, it was basically the, the similarity of valedictorian at a, at a high school. Right. It wasn't a high school. It was a military academy, but I was – the cadet of the cycle, and it was pretty cool because they offered me a job at the White House uh, as an internship. Um, but I, it was funny because although that sounds amazing, um, interns don't pay money. Exactly, and you got uh, a kid to raise. And I had, and I had a kid. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, was, it was cool because um, we had to have a mentor. And when you join the Youth Challenge Program, and this is why it's so successful, you're forced to go find somebody, and they can't be your own family. It's got to be somebody outside that agrees to mentor you for one year after. Well, the cool thing is uh, my mentor to this day, like he was up on my roof the other day helping me fix it. Like we're still friends to this day. Like like he still calls to check on me um, and vice versa because now he calls me and asks me for business advice because yeah. he started like a roofing company. He's like, what do I do about this? And it, it's so cool how the whole dynamic has changed. But that was the, that was the point of success was have, having the mentorship. And then he got me a job at the phone company and uh, because his sister worked there. Well, I needed to make um, make money because I had a, a son, so I chose to do that over the White House gig, which is which is pretty. Uh, a lot of people are like, man, you should you should have not know. God had a plan. Yeah. He, he knew what he was doing. And um, as I was working at the phone company, I got, I got some great skills. Um, I actually worked in the collection department. It's kind of funny because it's like <laughs> God has literally taken me through different portions of my life to go to school to be ready for for business ownership and for politics. Where man, I get yelled at all the time. Um, I have to be in uncomfortable situations, but you go to the military and um, you're in basic training. You're getting cussed at. You're getting yelled at by the drill sergeant um, at the phone company. I was actually in the collection department. My job was to cut off people's cell phones and call them and tell them that you have to pay your bill in order to get your cell phone turned back on. <laughs> Man, you want to have a bad day every day. Do that for a living. Like work for a collection department. And that, I did that for a good three years. And it was funny because we had to figure out a way 
even even in the valley, like we talked about, how do you make sure that you're still having a good day, even though when it's a bad day? And um, we had these white dry erase boards, and we would write on them whenever we heard a funny noise, a funny uh, sound that somebody would call us, like a name. Um, <laughs> and, and we would try to see who could get called the worst name, and we would hold it up for the whole 300 people that worked in this call center. And, and like you'd be on the phone, and you'd like laughing at you know your cubicle counterpart, like that's a good name. Like I'm not going to say some of these because there may be kids listening. Yeah. But there were there were some choice words and and some of them were very progressive. And I was like, man, that's a good one. <laughs> but um, I did that and I worked at the phone company for a while. And um, it was interesting because when I started working the phone company, didn't really have any money. I would just wore like jeans and like a, a a t-shirt. But there was no dress code because we worked at a call center. It was behind closed doors. The public couldn't see us. And I remember it was, it was funny because there was this one guy who really stood out. And this is this is one thing that I think we 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 don't. We don't really push or instill in our children now uh, or anymore. He always dressed amazing. Mm -hmm. Like he always wore a suit and tie. He always wore a business shirt, wore a, a tie, wore slacks. And, and and I remember looking at him, and he's that thing that I was telling you where you can see somebody, even though he's not in charge, like he just looks like he should be in charge. And um, eventually they promoted him because of that. He had the aesthetics of a leader, but then he acted like a leader. Like um, he was, he was calm. He was always, he was always at work on time. He was punctual. Um, he de he dealt well with others, and and he really took a role to like help other people and help instill them how to do the job even better. So naturally, he progressed and got promoted. But I remember seeing that and looking like, man, that's that's what I want to be. And, and when I first started, I wanted to be a business a businessman. It's kind of funny. Like like my goal was to be a businessman, but I didn't know what a businessman was. Yeah. In my in my adolescent 19 year old mind it was uh, a suit and tie and um but that was my goal so i started dressing like that guy and even though i didn't have the money to wear a suit and tie uh, it's kind of funny i'd wear like sweater vest and ties because i had like a, like a <laughs> yeah. sweater and i look at pictures back and i was like man i look cheesy but in my mind that was the nicest i could dress with the money that i was making but um what happened to him happened to me as well they quickly noticed, management noticed, because we have a call center with 300 people, and people are showing up for work in pajamas and slippers because no one sees and nobody nobody cared. It was never like that you have to wear this, mm -hmm. but it was a choice for him and I every day to wear this. So I just started emulating him, and it was interesting because we would be in the break room, and people would ask, like, you know, y'all know you don't have to dress like that? And uh, and, and he would say, the, f the funny thing was, he, and he was nice, but he said, well, you know, you don't have to dress like that. Yeah. Like, you don't have to wear your pajamas to work either. Yeah. And uh, which, which is funny because then they would wonder why they got passed over for promotions or it was because they weren't even being seen. No one was even acknowledging them as a qualified candidate for a promotion just because of the simple clothing. Yeah. So that's one thing is, is when I always um, talk to these, these young men that I mentor now, I say, man, the, the two most valuable things is be on time, like show up on time, and be in the right uniform. That right there matters so much because you wouldn't believe it. Eighty percent of the population can't even get that correct. They, they I know it's <laughs> it's unfortunate as we move through these you know new times we're in. It, it's just more and more prevalent, right? You know, it's like <laughs> it's like everyone just has too much like too much of a casual approach to things. You know what I mean? Casual. And I, I say so much, man, because I dress so casual. But me and you know, on in the specific meeting, I need to dress a little, you know, higher tier. I will, and you know, if in the specific meeting, I need to dress a little lower tier. I will. And, you know? and that's that's the cool thing is is now that I have a sales force, I teach these guys like, hey, look, if we're going out to the, a country store uh, where they sell, don't feed, show up in a suit and tie. Exactly, because they, they think you're, you're going to take your money. Yeah, you're yeah. the dirty attorney yeah, that's yeah, going to yeah. screw them over. Yeah. But but likewise, if if you're going down to Dallas and you're going to a board meeting with whomever, like you better wear your your suit and tie yeah. because it's it's an instant qualification. That, that says that, you know, I'm at this level that I can do the job. Now, of course, you have to come with your experience, and you can articulate that you can sell the good or service that you're selling, but but that first impression is everything. And, and if that's all you got, and you, first off, if you show up late and you show up in the wrong uniform, like, you, you almost just lost the sale or the business. Yeah. So, but, uh, so the, the phone company went great, but it was interesting because uh, as I was working there, I ended up getting promoted and, and moved to a different department. And um, I was a uh, plant support technician, which meant um, I did the, the technical data. If your business phone went down, you'd have to call the phone company, and I'd have to log into the switch and figure out, was it a technical issue with uh, the software, or was it actually on-site, and I had to dispatch a technician out there? Well, 
funny thing was I was there every day from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. I was clocking in. I was in my cubicle, and I had done really well. I was maxed out at my pay. And it wasn't a lot, but it was still it was good for a 22-year-old. Yeah. And um, I remember the sales guys, they would walk in, and um, they would stroll into work about 9 a.m. You know, I'm there from 7 o'clock, and, and they would dress more casual. Come to find out they were golfing all day. Um, found out they made twice as much as I made. They would leave at 3 p.m., they got a company credit card, and I said, "Man, that's, I got to get into sales. What yeah. am I? What am I doing?" Well, it was funny because I, I couldn't get into sales because I went and applied for the sales job uh, at that at that phone company, and they said, "Well, you don't have any sales experience." So I said, "Well, how the heck you get sales experience if nobody's going to hire you?" <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, it was interesting because I remember um, that new department that I was in, that old guy. Uh, that I knew from the other department that dressed really nice, he had left, and he had he had got offered a job of running like ten different cell phone stores. Uh, so he had left the company altogether. Well, he had reached back out to me, um, and he told me they needed an outside sales guy. And it, it's so cool how like God just makes this whole thing work. But um, the pay was like literally half of what I was making at the phone company with no benefits, and I was making like I said twice as much that with benefits. I was like, I don't know, that's, that's not that's not a good a good plan. <clears throat> so I tr- I tried to go work for some other people and and try to get some other sales jobs somewhere else that was more in line with the pay I was getting like for instance New York Life I had a friend that worked there and I went to go um, they had me fill out this sales questionnaire form yeah. and um, I failed it it was funny because it said like I wouldn't be a good salesman yeah <clears throat> so they didn't hire me and um, I was like well dang it how the heck do I get sales experience <laughs> if nobody will hire me uh, you know, other than my buddy. And I remember like going to a church Sunday night, um, and at that time I was going to Shreveport Community, and my buddy told me that Friday that, hey, look, I really want you, but if you can't do it, I need somebody else, so let me know about Monday. Well, Sunday night, I'm at this church service, and this elderly lady walks up to me. I'm in like the back row, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, I need, I need to know what to do. And um, she literally put her hand on my shoulder and said, God told me that you have a tough decision to make. Uh, go ahead and do it. It's going to be okay. And I'm just like, you know, blown away. Like this, like I don't know this lady. I was like, that's amazing. So I go in the next day to to my boss at the phone company. I told him what I was going to do, and um, I had already been talking to him because he was a friend of mine. He said, I think you're making a big mistake. He's like, I, I think you should stay here. This is a good job. Yeah. And I said, I, I'm maxed out on my pay, and I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in this cubicle. Which that right there is something for your listeners. Like, it, it doesn't matter that you're comfortable. Success is on the other side. Yep. It, it, you have to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're willing to be uncomfortable for a little while, you'll be much more comfortable later. And, and it, it, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you've dealt yeah. with that well, yourself. It's, it's, it, yeah, I talk about this to anyone who ever asked me because, like, we were doing something. Uh, Josh and I went to uh, Tech, and these kids asked me success, and they immediately started talking about, talking about money and this and that. And I'm sure you've had the same response. It's, it's nothing to do with money. Right. It's waking up and... And being happy of where you're at and what you're doing. Yes. That's success to me. Agreed. And I think it's, it's to you too. So like people that hate their job, like I was just, I was uh, listening to a podcast on the way here um, and they were talking about statistically over, um, I think it's, I don't remember, over 20% of people that only 18% of people are happy in the jobs they're existing in, in the, in the United States. That's only 18% of people that are in this functioning society and have a job are happy. That's bad, right? And most people aren't going to take a job or do anything because they're comfortable. Right. They're comfortable. It's okay. Yeah, they may make some more. Or maybe if they quit, they may make a little bit less going there. But for the opportunity, you know, opportunity to make more in the long run, but it's scary because just like the scenario you were in. Um, but it happens, you know. And, and these people just stay. They stay in this position until retirement. And they retire. And then they're in a nursing home. And then they're living with all this regret, and then they're telling these young ones, "Hey, do what you want to do." You know what I right. mean? Because you only have one life, man. You, you know, know, I think that's probably where our society is when it comes to like all all these kids that, and and I know this because like, I have some employees that they don't give a flip about the money. Yeah. They really don't. Like like one lady that I hired, her question was, um, "How do how do the employees get along?" And I and, and I was like, "What do you what do you mean? How do they get along?" She's like, "Well, how's the work environment?" And, I was, and, and in my mind, it's funny, um, I, I was literally thinking about downstairs where they have that axe-throwing bar. Um, our whole team comes down here, and, and we go throw axes together. We go play laser tag together. Like, we go snowboarding together in Denver. Like, it's it's like a family. And I was like, well, we, we hang out. We have fun. And she's like, okay. And now she works for us, and, and, and she loves it. Yeah. 
uh, this younger generation, hopefully the the previous generation told them, you know, don't waste your life. Because you said it, 18% are happy with their job. That that leads me to believe that that 80% of the people are miserable. Exactly. And, and two, maybe 2% two are undecided. Right. You know I mean? <laughs> and, and if you spend the majority of your life, which which you do, all of us do, like, you know, because typically you spend the most amount of your time at work yeah. with, with these coworkers. Man, that's that's 80% of America that is miserable every single day At until least, they retire. Yeah, over half of their life because and, that's 80% of their day, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I like that you said that uh, in regards to then you then you retire and then you're and then you're, you're so old that you're in the, the old folks' home and you can't do anything. Like for the listeners, this is important too. Like like experience life right now when in your twenties, in your thirties, in your forties. Like go outside and go have fun. Like take that vacation. It doesn't like buy the cheaper car and do the experience. Yes. And, and that's that's one thing that. Uh, I try to leave with my kids. It's like, look, we, we don't really do Christmas presents. Like this year, uh, we spent Christmas at a cabin in Denver in the mountains. Because I said, look, would you would you guys rather have some stuff, or would you rather go snowboard and, yeah. and go out and do something cool? And I was thankful because they said that. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's awesome. That's me and my wife don't give each other gifts. We just get each other trips, <laughs> do things together. You know, what I mean, I, I love it because I'm like, man, the material stuff. But as at a young early. Chasing your dream stage, you think that matters, right? You think the flashy cars matter. You, you, you think, of course, you want to dress nice, but you may take it over the top because you have the ability to buy those clothes and stuff. And the next thing you know, you're wrapped up in it, and you could have used that money for something else, or more experience, or invested it, or something. And you've just been living paycheck to paycheck, trying to, you know, have a good, you know, presence, you know, but not really living or enjoying. You know what I mean? That so that right there, that that's some advice that. I hear it all the time from from my elder mentors, but I, tr- I try to push that to the younger generation. Is 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 take whatever you make, and and obviously, you can make more money. You can't make more time, so time is more valuable. But whatever you're making, if you can live off of half of that, do it. Yeah. Because when opportunity comes around, and it, and it will, and if you're poised with that liquid capital to where you can make that investment, where you can buy that property, where you can invest in that business. Then you're gonna be successful. Who cares if you have a thousand dollar suit coat on? Like, yeah. like you know, this is from Express and it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, because I, I, one of my buddies, he wears these these suits that are like fifteen hundred dollars, and it's funny because he works like eight to five and makes an hourly pay, and he like always tells me about these these suits that he wears, and, and you know, I'm like, like doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Like, if if you would spend less on that, you could actually buy a house, a rent house. And make money on that, and then and then that money you can buy another one, another one, another one. Before you know it, you have passive income coming in, and then who cares that you're wearing a suit? And yeah. this is this is one of the funny things is when I was trying to be a businessman, in my perception of a businessman was the guy in the nice suit with the briefcase walking through the airport. That was what I believed in was success at the time in in my early twenties, and then when I started my business when I was twenty four. Fast forward about four years. I'm, I remember being 28, walking through the airport. Uh, I had to go to Denver to go to a meeting, and um, I had a suit on, and I had a briefcase. And I remember looking in the mirror, and in my mind I said, you look like you made it. Like you look like what your 20-year-old self wanted to be. But in my mind I knew that I was broke because for my first 10 years in business, I struggled a lot because I was trying to build something, but I didn't have any money. Yeah. So like I started, I started rethinking that whole thing is like, I don't just want to be a business guy. I want to be successful. So, like, what what does it actually look like? And it's it's kind of like what you said a minute ago. Today I started my day. It was super cool. I, I went to the Ark of Cattobosier, and it's this cool early childhood uh, education center that teaches uh, young children that are disabled and, and some that are not. And I got to sit down with them and read a book to them for an hour. I got to read, like, a kid's story to them. And I didn't have to worry about being anywhere or paying the light bill or doing anything. And, and that's success, yeah. like, like truly, that you could do, you could go impact a kid's life. And it was the coolest thing because when I first sat down, the little girl who may have been like five, she she hugged me and she's like, "Thanks for coming to my class." I'm like, "Man, this is this is cool." And that that's where life is. That's where like, okay, that's where you've made it. Not that you can look in a mirror, but that you can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And what you're doing is like helping other people. So that 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 was super cool. Yeah, I think that um, I think that's that hits the nail on the head, man. I mean, um, but so many people they define it in different reasons, and you know, so on and so forth. Who are, you know, however you want to look at it. But for me, that, that I agree. You know, that just that hit home. But when 
I just started laughing when he asked me that question, right? He's like, you know, what what would you say this I don't remember what the do you remember what the question was? He said how would you he literally asked you How did I define success? That's what it was, and I just started laughing. <laughs> because I knew what he was going to go towards the money route, you right. know, and I but I say this a lot on here because it gets it do you ever feel like you're so positive all the time because I really nothing really ever bothers me. I guess because I've taken so many blows and I, as I've grown up, I had a rough childhood, you know, whatever, and I've been through the ringer. It all because I wanted to be, you know, I thought that was cool, kind of probably like you right. did, you know, that was just right of passage, right? And so now it's like you're so I'm always motivated and, and and I always try to see the the good sides of things, not the bad, and I don't get in arguments ever really. I'm never really in a bad mood anymore, but. Remember when that person was annoying to you? <laughs> like, yes. I feel like I might be that annoying person because I'm never really going, you know, going against the grain or yelling about something with someone. You know what I mean? But but you're actually being an inspiration to some people. That, yeah. And you may not even know it. I, I think the, the reason that you have that mindset now is you understand what most entrepreneurs understand is a problem isn't a problem. It's an opportunity. And, and if you can't change your mindset from that, you're never going to be successful. Like here, I'm sitting with a, a water bottle. You know, I, I paid two dollars for this thing. Yeah. And the problem was, whoever made this was, I I need to take my water with me when I go somewhere. Um, so they came up with a solution of of a water bottle, and now I'm paying two dollars for it. And I don't even care that I'm paying two dollars, but that person is is obviously capitalizing on the fact that it was my problem, it was your problem. They created a solution. So w- when you see an issue in life, and and you're like, it's not an issue, it's not a problem. I can craft a solution and then I can capitalize on that solution because we're all humans and we're all very, very, very alike. So if something someone's struggling with, somebody else has struggled with it too. And that, and that's the cool thing about entrepreneurship. And that's where you start walking through life realizing, man, it's going to be okay. It, you know, it, if you have that mindset to where you can, you can fix what you can fix. Um, but the rest, you know, God's got the rest of it and he's, and he's got us and, and he really does. Um, that's kind of like back, back at the phone company when I finally, I finally took that job when that, that older lady told me to go do it, it was going to be okay. And when I went to go take the job, it was at that new job that I met the guy that was doing the point of sale stuff for that cell phone store that I was working at. And it was, it was crazy turn of events. He had a cubicle right next to my cubicle and he was remodeling his office. So he had to have an office. So he did the credit cards for our cell phone store. And he asked the owner, could he rent out one of those cubicles that was back there because he saw them? And the owner said yes. So naturally, we sat next to each other every single day, and we got to talking. We became friends. And, and he said, I think you should try to sell this stuff that I'm selling, yeah. and uh, you can make some pretty good money. And, and I remember at the time he told me, I make $10,000 a month in residual income. Yeah. And, and it, 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 in my mind, it must it might have well been a million dollars. Right, exactly. I was like, like $10,000. Yeah. That sounds like a, a lot of money. And the, the crazier thing that got me was not just the amount of money, uh, but that he said, Oh, I make this every month. It, it just comes in every month. Like I, I don't have to do anything for it. And I was like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, that's what, that's what I want to do. And mm-hmm. that's, that's that whole thing where I try to mentor these, these young guys. And I tell them, look, if you work at an hourly job and you're trading your one hour of life for, let's just say minimum wage, nine bucks an hour, like, your life is way more valuable than nine bucks an hour. So how can you figure out a way to make money when you're not trading your one hour of life? And there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, You can literally Google, um, how do I make residual income or how to make passive income? And you'll, you'll see a ton of them. Um, insurance is a super easy way. You know, you, you start selling insurance and before you know it, you got thousands of customers and every year they renew and you're getting a check and it's the way to go. But the one thing that I think a lot of people don't want to do and the thing that, that scares them the most is is the fear of the unknown and the initial part of the discomfort that you and I spoke about a moment ago is you're going to be broken. It's going gonna, it's gonna to suck and it's going to hurt for a minute. And while you're building that passive income or residual income or your portfolio of whatever it may be, real estate or stocks, you're not going to have a lot of money and it's going to be it's going to be tough. So you got to work twice as hard. You have to be willing to work twice as hard than everybody else if you want to be more successful than everybody else. And that's what most people just don't want to do. They don't want to do it, man. They don't want to do it. And, you know, there's always going to be those group of people that they're fine with that. They're fine with, I don't want to say mediocre because everyone's each to their own. If they're happy with their, they're complacent and happy. But the people that feel like they're stuck and they want to do something more, you're going to have to work harder. 
It just is what it is. So if they're part of the 18%, yeah. you know, just, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with what you're doing. If you're part of that 18%, you're happy. Yeah. But if you're not, if, if you're part of that other 80%, then it's, then it's time to do something. And that's the, that's the scariest part. I, I, I always tell people the difference between an entrepreneur and a dream is execution. It's because that first step that most people don't want to take – Success is right over that line, mm-hmm. and it's right outside of your comfort zone. And, and, it, it, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes you'll go broke. But like, I see you like you're here right here with me doing this during the day. But then I see you at night at these fights, at all the other things that you're doing. So it's it success isn't an eight to five job. It's a no, twenty four hours a day. Man. It's seven days a week. But everything I'm doing, I enjoy. And people can find you can find revenue in things you enjoy. You can. You can. You can find reward. Even if it's not monetary revenue, it's it's reward, right? You, you know, whether it be a connect for something long, later down the road or whether it be, you know, any kind of barter, anything. You know what I mean? But you can find you can find that in things you enjoy, and then eventually you can kind of pivot and get away from the thing you don't like and double down on those things, you know? Yep. It doesn't have to be a drastic change. But I hear so many people say, well, I just hate it here. Well, then fucking move. Amen. Excuse my language. Right. Yeah, but just just move. Like, just, right. <laughs> if you don't like it here, leave. If you're going to stay here and be involved, quit complaining. Right. Because if you don't want to be here, yeah, it may, be a dis- it may be uncomfortable for a minute to leave, but if that'll make you feel better and you hate it so bad, then go ahead and go. You know, it's that easy. The simple solutions are always the easy decisions, right? I mean, I mean the simple sol- – they're always the simple – what am I trying to say here? If you make a decision, it's sim- you know the easiest decision is always the hardest. That's what right. I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And 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 my pastor says this. He says don't make a permanent decision on a temporary situation. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And, and that's that's important. You know, it's it, it's interesting. Like what you said a minute ago um, about people are saying, well, if you don't like it here, leave. Um, that kind of brings me to the whole how I even got into politics, uh, yeah. which is an interesting story in itself. So working at that cell phone store, I met that guy, and um, he told me, look, I'll, I'll teach you how to do this credit card business, and I started doing it, and I, and I realized early on that the way that he was doing it was not the way that I wanted to do it because I believed, and of course this is coming from a high school dropout with, without a business education, but if you look at Walmart, they're the most successful retailer in the world. They make a lot of money, but they only make a little bit off every item. Mm-hmm. So my thought process was if I can emulate that, if, if I can get a lot of customers and just make a little bit of money off each customer, what we'll do is we'll grow by volume, and then our reputation will grow, and we'll get more customers. And then eventually, if I can train guys out in the field in different markets, different cities and states, and then help them be successful, we can take a small override or a percentage off of what they're doing. And then likewise, we will continue to grow even more, and we'll support them. Well, I started doing that, and um, he and I, we didn't see eye to eye. He, he, he saw more of the make more money off each client, and, and it finally got to the point where um, we just had to part ways, uh, which was cool because it forced me to do the American dream of, of to go start my own company. And then when I did, early on when I first started my company, before I really had any money to do anything, uh, what I still wanted to do was help people. And we would do nonprofits and charity events, and we would show up, and we would take our laptops and uh, I always said we, even though it was just me. Yeah. Now, now it's, now <laughs> it's, it's, we, it's yeah. nice because it's we because yeah. we actually have employees. And, yeah. and, uh, but at first it was just me. And what I would do is I would show up and I would take credit cards for like – we live in Louisiana, so we always have the, the Mardi Gras cruise. Yeah. So I would do it for the cruise. And one time I volunteered to do it for a friend, and a lady walked up, and she was like, how much uh, does the crew pay to accept credit cards here? I said, no, this is my company. I do it for them for free. And then they would let me stay at the party, which was kind of cool. And she's like, well, look, I'm part of this crew. Can you come do it for us? Before you know it, it, when you help people, it it, it spreads like wildfire. And I just kept on getting asked and asked. And before you knew it, um, I had uh, political candidates start to call me and say, hey, look, I'm friends with this guy. and We're going to do a fundraiser for his event. And uh, I did it for the the late um, DA, uh, Charles Scott. I did it for the late Charlie Caldwell. He was a friend of Mm -hmm. mine, city marshal. Um, and um, Steve Prater, yep. the, our sheriff, um, I was at one of his fundraisers one day, and I was doing it for him. I had a laptop set up, and I was taking credit cards, and um, a lady had walked up, and, and she said, um, how much are you charging the sheriff to do these credit cards? I said, I'm doing it for free. And she's like, oh, really? Why? And I said, well, I don't, I don't have any money. I'm broke. Yeah. You know, but I believe in him, so this is the way that I can give back because you, know, you either have time or treasure. Yeah. When, you, when you're older and you're blessed, you may have both, but sometimes you only have one or the other. So you can either offer your time with volunteer or you can offer your treasure, which is you know, money. Um, 
the Bible tells us where your treasure is, where your heart is. So you want to see what somebody really cares about, look at their money, look at what they spend their money on, and uh, that, that'll tell you, um, whether it be time or treasure. Well, I cared about him as a candidate, and I thought he was doing a great job for Cattle Parish, so I offered up my services to do that, and I told her why I didn't have any money. And she said, oh, that's cool. Uh, what neighborhood do you live in? It was funny. Uh, I told her I lived in Southern Hills, uh, which is where I live now. And um, I didn't know. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have said this. But she was the president of the Homeowners Association for Southern Hills. And she said, what do you think about the neighborhood? I said, I think the neighborhood sucks. <laughs> I, said, I said, the property values are going down and the crime's going up. I said, I think I'm going to move to Greenwood. My father moved out to Greenwood, and, and he built a house out there, and he had a lot behind him for sale. I was going to buy that lot and move next to my dad. And um, she said, if you see something wrong, you should do something about it. And it's funny, you, you mentioned that, you know, like, if, if you don't like it, then leave. Yeah. Well, I was going to leave. I, yeah. That was going to be my decision. And um, she said, if you, if you see something wrong, you should do something about it. And, and I said, well, you know, what do you want me to do about it? And I, now I had been in the Army for 12 years. And um, I, I said, you want me to walk around my Air 15 and fight crime? I can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not law enforcement. And um, she said, no, you need to go run for the uh, the Cattle Parish Commission. She's like, our, ter- our current commissioner is term limited, and we're looking for somebody. Now, this is interesting because this is literally May of um, 2015, and the election is April of 2015. That Like that very year, like yeah, right four, there, right four or five right months later. And um, and I, like, I was so distant from caring about politics and all that because all I wanted to do was, was make money and like run my business and try to grow. Um that I didn't even know who the Cattle Parish Commission was. I didn't. I didn't even know what a commissioner did. I, I didn't know the city council. I. I wouldn't even know the mayor if he walked up to me back then. And um, I said, um, I don't know what the Cattle Parish Commission is. I said, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's. Um, I don't. I don't really care about politics. And um, she said, Well, look. She said, People like me, you know, the older people that can't do anything anymore. She said, We we need people like you to help us out, to represent us, you know, to take care of us, you know, and, and it kind of convicted me. And, um, I said, well, um, I, let me think about it. You know, I, I said, I don't, I don't know. Well, at that time, literally Charlie Caldwell, the late city marshal walks up and Charlie and I, we, we were friends, we've been friends for a long time. And I, I knew Charlie was elected. So it, it kind of gave me the segue to ask him. And I, I thought he was going to tell me, don't do it. It was kind of funny. I said, I said, Marshall, this lady says I should run for the Cattle Parish Commission. What do you think? I thought he was going to get me off the hook. And yeah. Said, you know, heck no, steer clear. And uh, if he was driving the bus, he, he ran over me and then rolled it back over. He's like, I think that's an amazing idea. He said, that's exactly what you should do. He said, you would get elected. He said, I, I would support you. Everybody loves you. He's like, and you're a hard worker. And I said, thanks a lot. So, of course, then she got really excited. And I said, I said, look, let me, um, let me think about it. I said, you know, write down your number, and um, I'll call you. Well, I went home, and, and it started playing on me. I got convicted after a couple of days. Like, what she said is, like, if if you can do something and, and you don't, then you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And that's that's tough because, like you said a minute ago, like, if you don't like it, leave. Or, do something or stay and exactly. do something yeah, about exactly. it. But if and you're not going to – if you're going to sit here and complain and do nothing, right. then get away. Like, just, or just be quiet. You know, I don't know, but just get out of the equation because you're not helping anything. And, and it's it's interesting because, like, like that, that 18% that you spoke about – those people, that 18%, they're living their purpose. That They really are. Yeah. My pastor says all the time, if you look at an eagle soaring, it looks beautiful. Like you want to take a picture, you want to look at it. But if you saw an eagle like behind a dumpster at a restaurant eating trash, it would look abnormal to you. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't look right. And the reason it wouldn't look right is because that, that eagle is not living his purpose. And that's 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 our issue. When we're not living our purpose, when, when we are not fulfilling our our purpose on why God put us here, then it's abnormal and we're not happy. So, like, if your listeners are not living out to their purpose, that they got to find that. They got to find where can I get plugged in. If if I don't like what's going on, that may be a conviction. And I realized I used to drive around and like see things like, like barricades on the side of the road, things that weren't paid in correctly, like like city municipality issues. Like I would see them mm-hmm. and it was weird to me. I'm like, why do I care about that? Like, why do I care that that? Well, I I, I know now. Um, I went to my wife and I asked her, I said, you think I should do what that lady asked me to do? And she said, I knew you were going to do it the minute she asked. You can't say no to anybody. <laughs> it, 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 it was funny because it, uh, it, it really convicted me. So I called her. I said, listen, I don't know anything about politics. I don't have any money. I can't, you know, I, I, I obviously you have to raise money to, to, to run. I said, but, you know, I got a heart and, and I got some time. I'm, I'm willing to do it. 
So um, I said, I'll, I'll do it. And then, you know, she told me what to do, and I went and I started knocking on doors, and, you know, I, I created a plan of, like, started investigating, like, what do I see wrong with here? Why was I about to leave? And why don't I work on fixing those things? And um, the crazy thing is one of the one of the biggest reasons that, that I wanted to leave is uh, I, I can't stand litter, like trash, like trash on the side of the road. It, it bugs me. It was a weird thing. Well, now um, Southern Hills has a quarterly cleanup where we probably have 100 citizens volunteer to come out and just literally walk up and down the streets and pick up trash. We have Little Caesars and Papa John's that feed us for free. Starbucks gives us coffee for free. We get free donuts. Like, it's literally an entire event where we've, had, we've even had people come out and play, like, music before to, like, empower us. And, like, it's the, it's the coolest thing. We have people that show up with trucks and trailers to help put the stuff on there. And um, it didn't take me to be elected to do that. It just, it just took me doing that, just saying, like, okay, if, if I have this issue and I see it, how do I make a difference? Yeah. I mean, that's what it always takes, right? Just one person. If one person will just make a decision to change something, right? Then you're going to get a community together, you know? I mean, because there's a lot of people that have that same concern. They're just looking for that one leader. Like right. we were talking about earlier. And, and they got to find the one in the room. And, and it worked. It was cool. And, uh, you know, fast forward a few months, uh, and this is a God thing. The, the, other, the other guy that was running against me for that position, he ended up getting disqualified. And it's funny because when, when I first thought, there's no way that I could be elected because most people see the politician as the, the clean cut dude in the suit with the Harvard degree yeah. in the frame. You know, they don't, they don't look at a high school dropout that went to jail. Uh, they got in trouble that has a GED now that, that a teen pregnancy, they don't see all that. They're like, you know, that's, that, that's not the typical story you hear. Cool thing is nowadays, I think that's starting to be more prevalent where, uh, I want real people. Like I want to, I want a business owner to be my congressman or my mayor, someone that's ran something efficiently that understands the value of a dollar and understands how to make revenue. Uh, because that's what we need if you think about it. Businesses, it doesn't matter if it's counties, parishes, cities, states, they're all just businesses. They're, they offer services. And it's like, okay, the better the service, the more the revenue. Well, our, our revenue, it's taxes. When we pay taxes, we should get good services. Well, you know, you want an iPhone, you're going to pay $1,000 for it. If you don't, you're going to pay half that and get a Samsung. Well, if you want that nicer phone, you're willing to pay for it. And that's the thing is people, they demand these nicer things of their government, but they don't want to pay for yeah. it. So it's, it's, it's got to be this fine teetering between are we getting the services that are promised you know, at the rate that we're paying? And you, know, you and I can say, sadly, around here we're not, but that we can go to other municipalities and other cities and states that are, and, and they look amazing and they're clean. And people don't mind paying what they're paying for. So that's, that's, those are the elected officials that I want to see that are working for us that are using the best use of our tax dollars so that you can easily look around and see, okay, I am getting a rate of return, and then I'll, then I'll gladly pay the taxes because I'm getting the services that I want. Yeah. There's so many people that misconstrue taxes, and they don't really understand how it works, right? I mean, especially that lower middle-class people. You know, they just hear taxes, I, I, need some, I need some money back, or I'm giving money, and we're not getting anything out of it, and there's, just, there's this whole confusion where is how that is – is applied. But in this area, like you said, there is a problem where those things aren't being used as they should because we can go 50 miles down the road to the West and see them use better there. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just a matter of, but it, it starts from the inside out, right? Because it, does. it goes all the way down to the city. It does. Before it goes up to the, you know, gov the federal, you know, it's, it's just interesting how that works. And people don't seem to understand that, you know, um, there's the order of operations has to be, grease properly and work efficiently for it to work at all you know and if there's a one if there's one dust bowl in there <laughs> or something dirty you know junking up the whole gearbox then it's going to screw up the whole operation you're, you're so right and, and i've heard this uh now that i've been in politics it's it's all politics is local mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard yeah, that but of course but it just goes to show like you have some people that at a local level get elected and they gain some popularity and they start learning their job and of course they're going to move up they progress they get bigger jobs they go to higher offices, and before you know it, let, let's say they're in the U.S. government. Let's say they're in the Senate or the Congress. Well, those guys used to be down here. So it says in the Bible, if you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. So we need to start looking at the, the people that we put in office and look at, are they doing good things? Are they doing the good things with the little budgets? Because if they're not, why would we ever move them to a higher office? They're going to operate the same way they've been operating at the lower level. And, and I've been blessed because I, I know I'm on my eighth year uh, working for the government, and I've learned so much. I, I've seen so much 
that how it's ran and how it works, and it's it's just been a um, an educational experience like like none other. Uh, but I'm thankful for it. Uh, I ended up, like I said, the, the other guy got disqualified and, and I and I won. I, I got elected, um, and then now I'm in my second term. I, I won again, um, and it's just been the coolest thing. I, I was actually named Public Official of the Year um, by the uh, Social Workers Association um, because, as an elected official, it was interesting because I, I'm just one of twelve on a board. Right. Uh, but they they chose they chose me to win that award, and they told me. We've had more nominations for you for helping people, um, which is cool because I don't get the accolades on news that, that other people may get because I never want that. Like, yeah. like it, when people call me like, hey, we need help with this, you'll never hear that's not my job because I know who does what now that I've done it. And sure, it may be city council, it may be commission, it may be the school board, maybe the state. There's so many different government entities that people just have no idea about. There's so many different political subdivisions and who's in charge of what that now I know who does what, and it's easy for me to navigate those halls and get, get that accomplished. Whereas other people, they, they have no clue, and that's the problem. People feel so distant from government because there's this lack of education of who actually does what nowadays. And I like it because I know I didn't get elected to go really do anything other than help people. And, and now the fact that I know who does what and how to help people more efficiently, I'm rolling off, and, and this will be my last year on the Parish Commission – but that doesn't mean that I'm going to forget everything that I've learned. I've learned so much along the way that I know for decades to come, I know where to go to help people and how to make this city better. And I don't have to have a fancy title to do that. I tell people all the time, you don't, you don't have to be somebody to be somebody. Yeah. You can go help people or, or be somebody to, to somebody else right where you're at. It just takes willingness. So Yeah, no, I agree. Do you think you're going to run again? I, I don't. Um, I really don't. And um, running for mayor was was actually a huge endeavor. Uh, it was huge, but um, it was so cool because yeah. I ran as a no party candidate. Yeah. You know, and I and I, I was Republican, and I, and I rolled up because what I realized is, you know, politics in the sense of Republican, Democrat, red and blue, all that stuff is irrelevant. N- like nobody really cares about that. When it when it comes to the city, like you call down to the city, and what's the city supposed to do? When you call nine one one, they're supposed to show up, fire and police. When you have trash, you're supposed to pick up your trash. When you turn on a faucet, clean water is supposed to come out. None of that stuff is political. Yeah. And, and I've realized that politics, unfortunately, has divided the city, the, the state, the nation so much to where all it's about is this and that. And, and I wanted to run a campaign that smashed all that, that, that just said that somebody that can come in and, and absent of a political agenda of this or that, just somebody that's a business owner that can streamline the processes – and, and have an open line of communication with people can actually have a shot. And it was funny because there was a lot of naysayers that said there's there's not a chance, not a chance. But when, when we – the election night, when we came in with more votes than the standing mayor um, and, and a standing city councilwoman, I think people were shocked because first off they said you, you'll never raise any money. Yeah. And then when we came in at like $300,000, um, I think they stopped for a minute like, wait a minute, like this is this is big. Like these guys are actually making a movement. And the movement, it was cool because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just about me. It was about us. And before I even started the campaign, I started a different campaign six months before it. And, and I started looking at, like, what really needs to happen? And, and I only did this because I was in the same scenario that I was seven years prior when I saw an issue and, and I said, you know what, I, c- I can fix it, you know, I, or at least I'm, gonna, I'm willing to try. Um, but that issue was the division, and what I realized is, we, we need a unified city. So I started this campaign called Together Shreveport, and I started running these billboards that just said Together Shreveport, and, um, and I set up a website. And if, that way, if somebody went and saw Together Shreveport, they were going to wonder, like, what is that? Yeah. And they would go to the website. And if they went to the website, it was just a black website that had Together Shreveport logo, and it was a Bible verse. And it was, it was, it's, the, it's the greatest story, I think, in the Bible that tells about – um, absent of political affiliation and absent of skin color, this man helped another man. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. When people that look like him walked by him, people of religion walked by him, people of the government walked by him. But another person said, no, I'm going to help this person for no other reason other than it was the right thing to do. And that's what he did. And that's what's wrong with our society. We will only help people if it benefits us. We'll only help people if they're wearing the same 
football jersey team that we're wearing, uh, political affiliation, right? All that stuff looks like us. And, and, and that's what we've gotten so far away from is, is how do we get back to that to where like, no, this guy's my brother. I'm going to help him. He lives here. We're American. Yeah. And, and, and that, was the, that was the message that I wanted to push. And I'll tell you what, it resonated. I, I mean, there, there was hope. Um, I've seen people as recent as just yesterday when I was pumping gas. And uh, it's, it's funny because I forget that I did that huge thing. Um, from a from a standpoint of like that people probably recognize yeah, me yeah. and I'm at the gas station I'm like man this sucker's pumping slow I was like is yours going slow too he's like it is he said and I voted for you <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's funny like I, like almost weekly people are like you know it's 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 like they're sadder that you know I didn't realize this but but it wasn't just me but it was our campaign put a a, a glimmer of hope in people that's what I was gonna say and but before I forget this. Um, when you go back, you said they didn't think you were going to raise that much money. I venture to speculate that you raised that much money, but it was by way of hundreds or maybe thousands of contributions, yes. not just a handful of large ones, we, which means a lot more. Yes. We, we, you wouldn't believe that the, the $10 donations we exactly. had and the $25, it was, it was thousands of donations that were tiny yep. amounts. And it was interesting because when we pulled up the, uh, the campaign finance reports of some of the people that were running against me, they had 80% of the money that they received were outside of the city limits. We, we literally only had like maybe 5% that were outside of the city of Shreveport, but that 5% was like friends of mine in the city of Bossier that yeah. owned businesses and yeah. believed in me because what they believed in too is so goes Shreveport, so goes Bossier. Yeah. If Shreveport gets such a, 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 a violent news report that don't go there, well, if you look on a map, well, heck, that's – I'm not going there. I'm not going to Bozier either. So yeah. we have to have a better Shreveport. So it, it was cool. Well, you, yeah, and you instilled hope, man. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm not in Shreveport. I, I was a Shreveport res, residence. Now I'm, I'm in Benton, but still trying to, you want, if you have the collective good in mind here, you want everything to be good around here because right. you're, you're raising a family, you're running a business, you're, you know, you're driving the roads, you know, you're, you're walking into these place retail stores. Like you want to be safe. You want to be a, you know, you want to be present in somewhere that you enjoy. So it's important that every single place around here functions just as good as the place that you're in that you like it, you know? Agreed. And we, we, one of our biggest things in the campaign, and Ephesians says this, you know, don't let anything come out of your mouth that's not good for lifting up people. Because a lot of people kept asking, like, well, you know, what, what did the current mayor do wrong? And I'm like, guys, listen, like, like I'm not running for this position to knock him down. Like I'm running for this for all the citizens that want a better city. And that was one thing that I really heard over and over again was the campaign. People said, you can run a clean campaign because we didn't, we didn't pull up dirt on anybody. And we, we, we were called and we were emailed lots of dirt about everybody else. <laughs> and, and they wanted me, they wanted me to run. And I said, guys, how can I be blessed by doing that? I, I can't, I can't. So we're going to stick to like three it, Ours was easy. Three, three things. Crime, cleanliness, and customer service. Like, we want to clean up the city because trash is still on my mind. The crime is obviously hurting everybody, businesses and people alike. And customer service, the city lacks customer service from a standpoint of a business. You want good customer service. If you feel – this was what we were talking about about taxes a moment ago. If you feel like you're getting the services that you're paying for, you're happy. If you go to a restaurant, you're willing to pay twice as much for the food. People don't value what they don't pay for. You get something if you're given something for free, unless it has some type of, you know, um, value for like it, say a grandfather handed it down, or sentimental value or something. If you're just given something, you're not going to take care of it. Where if you worked hard for something, spend the money on it, you're going to take care of it more. And it, it applies to that. You're, if you're going to pay for something, you're going to appreciate it. You don't mind paying for it because you, it's the, there's a difference in value there. And it's always funny because that's that's always an ongoing thing that I see. It's like if you hand someone a piece of paper. And maybe it looks nice and it's, you know, whatever, and it has some edges on it and it's got gold on it, whatever. It's nice. You hand it to them. They may crumple it up and throw it away. But if they give you 25 cents for it, they're probably not going to, right? It's Correct. interesting how that works. It's it's, psych- it's crazy. It's so psychological for sure. But I want to talk about this, too, before we run out of time. So um, politically-wise, and this this is – the, the listeners and viewers here are kind of nationwide, not just locally. Um, so hyper-locally, we've been talking about that a little bit. But the problem with, with – crime and with gun violence and like what what do you think is the solution i'm sure you've been asked this question but i want to talk about it and like right here um i was just on the way to the office for a meeting earlier 
and passed like 10 units. And I was like, holy shit, Shreveport has 10 units available right now. And then realized that they just had a juvenile shot in the chest, you know, somewhere. And they were dispatching, you know, units there. It happened at Goodwill on 70th. Okay. The, the, sadly, the, the kid was 15 years old and he was going to a GED class. Man. Right. Well, that's, my first thought was, what's the juvenile doing in the middle of the day? And there, there's my answer, you know. Um, but yeah, man. So what's your what's your stance on that? What do you think needs to be done? Like, I mean, what do you think is going to help not just locally but everywhere? Like, it's so. Yes, we were asked that a lot, and, and it boils down to it's really a heart issue. I mean, it, it really is. It's it's we sadly society has gotten so far away from caring about their their fellow man. You know, that's kind of that Good Samaritan story. That the whole reason why we try to push the Together Shreveport. And it's it's not just together Shreveport. It's you know you could say together America. It's it's how can how can you and I and how can your listeners wherever they're at, how can they step out of their comfort zone and realize that if you can go show one person what love looks like, what a role model looks like, of how you can influence somebody to have a better life because they may not be in the same scenario or on the path that you are because of life circumstances maybe that are outside of their control, then it's it's up to us because, unfortunately, we're not going to be here another 50 years. We're just, we're just not. Yeah. I mean, you and I are a little bit older than, the, yeah. the, than maybe some of your listeners, but let's say another 100 years. You know, 100 years, none of us are going to be here. And the next generation that's coming up, it's our responsibility to teach them how to act and how to treat each other. And if they see us hating each other, and if they see us so willing to pull a gun and fight a dispute with a gun, or they, they see us arguing, then that's the type of person they're going to be. So it's our job to, A, be the father, because we're not raising kids, we're raising parents. If we, if we stop for a minute and think about that, we're not just raising kids, we're, we're raising parents. We're raising the next business owners. We're raising the next politician. We're raising the people that are going to be left in charge that are going to have to work with our sons and daughters. And if we actually stopped and thought about that for a second and said, you know, am I doing the most every day that I can to make sure that society is better for my kids than I got it from my parents? We're probably not. Yeah. We're probably oh, not. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I like that you, you were in the middle. I like that you were in the middle in your election race. And I like that. I'm not, man, if I had to venture, I don't even, I never talk about, this is the first time ever I've had anyone political on here. I never talk about politics. And the only reason why I have you on here is because you're not one side or the other. Right. And um, I don't want to ever have that conversation because I don't want to be in the middle of it because I'm in the middle of it and I want to stay right there. And I don't want to look at this side and argue with the other side. I, I, I think that it's unfortunate that we're still abiding by, you know, some laws and ways that things operate that are hundreds of years old when everything else, technology and everything else has become more efficient, but the government it still remains the same, which I see as an issue. That's me, you know, just on the outside looking down, I'm not involved in the things you are, but I think that, you know, there should be some type of evolution there. And when you divide something into parties, then you're already creating the segregation from the jump. And so there's, there's those parties are never going to agree. And then from there, you're going to create segregation within society. And we're already having that organically enough. Why would you want to contribute to that? You know, right? Well, it, and sadly, it's it's because the people that capitalize on the division. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest the biggest party uh, of growth right now is the independent party, which is which is good because, like you said, it it shouldn't be about politics. It should just be what's what's the best for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we should focus on is how, how can we strip our red and blue T-shirts, our Saints and Cowboy T-shirts, and and how can we actually just sit around a table and break bread and and find what unites us and, and capitalize on that. I, th- I think that's what society needs a lot more of. Yeah. I, we've heard stories like, right. You leave two men in the, in the same room together that hate each other long enough. They're going to love each other. Right. It's, it's, it, it's, it's the truth. It's human nature, but we've just, we've created these, you know, ways of, you know, segregation and division amongst ourselves, you know, for benefit of, you know, whatever it may be, mostly monetarily, I'm sure. But yeah, man. So anyways, uh, enough about that bad stuff. Um, what, so what's next, man? What do you want to do next? Well, man? so the cool thing is, like, I went and had a talk with one of my employees, and um, we've grown this company to where one of my guys, he makes more money. And, and we talked about this. The success isn't just monetary, but let's just say I think he cleared probably a half a million dollars last year. Mm-hmm. And even though that's that's a lot of money uh, for Shreveport, Louisiana, you may have listeners like in Dallas, New York, and that's probably not a lot there. But but here it is because the cost of living's it's, it's very low, and the average income here is about $44,000. So you make half a million dollars, you're, you're doing all right. But more importantly than the dollar amount, it's the fact that I think he came to the office last year 
maybe 20 times. Yeah. And that's not even an exaggeration. I think he came to the office 20 times because they had a new baby. And, and when he would come to the office, when I would see him like maybe once a month, he was wearing like flip-flops and, and shorts, and he was just coming in to, to hang out and do some stuff. Um, and, it, and it was funny because even the, some of the girls at the office, they made a joke. They were like, you know, we're going to make a fake bobblehead and put it on his chair because we, we never see him. But we had a, I had a conversation with him. I said, listen, making money is great. I said, you know, because I, I, I got to that point in my life one time where I thought I was doing really great financially, and I realized making money isn't a purpose. And I'm going to say that again because this is very important because some people need to hear this. Making money is not a purpose. A, a purpose is something different. A purpose is that 18% that leaves you feeling fulfilled. Money is good to pay the light bill and do stuff for others and, and, and buy the car that you want. But it's not a purpose. You, you have to leave something behind. And I went to him. I said, listen, the, the things that I've taught you over the last five years, we owe it to other people in other cities and states to make them successful, to teach them how to make revenue so that what you did this last year, staying home with your, your newborn and being able to like do whatever you want, go to every baseball game, every kid play, everything, like that's life. That's enjoying life. Like we got to do that more. And, and he agreed. So that the next step is how do we not just keep this here because we have two offices, one's in Denver and one's in Shreveport. How do we go to other markets, other cities, other states, and help more people grow businesses and help them become more successful, not just for the monetary reason, but so that they can enjoy life like some of our guys do where they can take off whenever they want and they can be with their kids because that's what it's really about. It, it, it's about being home with your kids and showing them what a father's supposed to be like. So that's the next step that I've realized is, is how do I help other people grow their businesses so that they can have more time to be with their family so that they can be more successful. I like it, man. I'm excited about it. Well, any last thoughts before we wrap this thing up, man? Any plugs, anything you want to mention? Uh, it, it's um, just, you know, keep on rocking. I, I love watching you from afar because oh, you, you're, you're doing really cool stuff. But um, just go out there today and, and just see, you know, how can I make somebody else's day better? Not how can I make myself better today, but how can you leave somebody else having a better day? And uh, you can't go wrong helping people. Awesome. I love it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your time.